You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to talk about housing. But first, let's catch up on life lately. Abby, what's been happening with you? It's been a pretty normal week here for us. The weather warmed up, the snow melted, which was good. It actually got really warm, which is a thing that worries me about climate change when that happens. But I did enjoy 68 degree weather on Thursday and Friday this week. The main thing that has been happening with us is that we have gotten to see a lot of friends lately. We have friends that live in Raleigh that are about to have a baby, and they were here on Thursday, which was really fun. And we have a college friend, actually a mutual college friend, who lives in Arkansas, was here visiting another friend of hers who lives in the area. And so we got to have breakfast with them yesterday. That's really it. Oh, I should say, Andrew and I are rewatching The Office. Nice. I know that you guys like that show. We're like on constant repeat of rewatching episodes. Oh, you do? You just mm-hmm. go back and like watch your favorites over and over. Yeah. So we're rewatching the whole thing and we recently got to season three and I've been laughing a lot. It's felt really good. Yeah. I would read A Little Life, which was really hard. And then after I got to the point where I couldn't take it, I would tell Neil I was ready to watch an episode of The Office. And oh, I, I would do it. that right before bed because it's hard to go to bed after reading something really challenging that I needed like an emotional break before that. Definitely. What's been going on with you, Sarah? Well, a couple of episodes ago, you talked about how you had been feeling crafty. And I haven't been feeling crafty, but I've been feeling really creative. So I've been trying to make more time for writing and just thinking about other creative projects in my future. And then HP has also been being really creative. And art isn't something he's usually into, but he's been asking to paint almost every day. And I don't know if you follow Elise Joy on Instagram or not, but she recently posted I think right around the new year, about how she always says yes when her kids ask to paint. Oh, I love And her it. kids are even younger than my kids. And so hearing that, I thought, painting isn't as hard as I'm making it out to be. Because to me, I would think, oh, it's such a mess. It's going to take a long time to set up and clean up. And then I'm going to have to supervise it closely. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it's washable paint. It takes 30 seconds to set up. He can do it independently. Even E can do it independently. And it's not hard to clean up. I just give him a wet rag and he wipes down the table and that's it. That's awesome. What kind of paint are they painting? Just washable Crayola paints. And then Neil has also been being crafty. So if I had to choose a craftiest member of our family, it would be Neil. Love it. And he moonlights as a children's book author, which I'm not sure that very many people (laughs) know that about him. But he makes cloth books with his sewing machine and fabric that he has found and then he has three different books but he's been going through and remaking some of them that we can give to people as gifts so he's been working on that in the evenings of drawing the pictures and writing the text on them that sounds really fun good for him yeah all right let's talk about what we've been reading so i'm reading lab girl by hope jaren which is a memoir of a woman who is a scientist. And she is a professor right now at the University of Hawaii. But she was born and raised in Minnesota and went to Minnesota for her undergraduate. It's a really interesting book because it's science juxtaposed with her growing up and her life. And I'm I'm not very far, but I'm really enjoying it so far. And I don't always love to read science-related books, but I think this has enough of her personal life that it's really good. And the prose is really beautiful. My friend, Rebecca, who loaned me this book, she mailed it to me. She said, man, that woman can write, which is true. Because most of the time scientists are writing pretty dry scientific prose, 
it's nice that she has also cultivated more creative writing and and that we get to see it. Yeah. Have we talked about that one at all? Have you read it? I read that this fall. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. It was my book club, my in-person book club's first book that we did. Yeah. I'll be curious to chat more about it. It was not my favorite book. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if I'm not far enough in to see because you and I often share perspective on books. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I didn't know that you had read it because it wasn't in your um, top books. Yep. Of 2016. (laughs) So I guess that's a little bit about how you felt about it. Yeah. When I started it, I had considered recommending it to you. But then I also know that you don't always love to read science because you do a lot of science stuff. I read plenty of science in my life. And then... It was science focused and I didn't love it. So anyway, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. And it was really interesting to read about a woman in science and what her experience was related to that. Mm -hmm. She juxtaposes science with her life and then also with science culture, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people who are not in science don't always know what it's like to be a scientist because I have been a scientist, was trained as a scientist. I think I like the honesty and I like that people who aren't scientists are reading it and know will hear about it, at least from her perspective. And that was the most interesting part to me, was what is science like, particularly what is science like for a woman? Hmm. What are you reading, Sarah? I am reading Talking as Fast as I Can by Lauren Graham, and I just finished it yesterday. It was a really great change of pace after reading A Little Life, which was so heavy that I just wanted something completely different. And I don't even know about this about you. Are you a Gilmore Girls fan or did you never watch it? sacrilege I know everyone loves it but me (laughs) okay well I really did love it and my mom and I used to we didn't watch together because I was out of the house most of the time when it was being made but we would discuss the episodes often together that's nice and the Gilmore Girls reboot just happened this fall and my mom and I both waited to watch until I was back home in December which was really fun to get to do that with her so talking as fast as I can is very similar to other actor memoirs Mm -hmm. humor short chapters it's kind of just like that whole list of them bossy pants and yes please and yeah that's kind of a genre in and of itself now the celebrity humorist memoir it is and it was fine I would say it's nothing special but it I enjoyed it and I especially enjoyed it after just re-watching the reboot that I found that to be just a fun light read Nice. And a good break yeah, from the intensity of your previous book. Yeah. Do you want to, you hadn't finished it when we talked. Do you want to talk a little bit about how it ended and your feelings about the end of it? So I just had my book club about this book last week. I would say that when we recorded our last episode where I talked about this book, I had just finished the most difficult section of the book. Mm. So I think that everything was as hard as I described it, but I had also just finished the hardest part of the book. Mm -hmm. I would recommend it. I gave it five stars. I think it was fantastic. The writing was amazing. It was so emotional, but just really well done. Amazing character development, but with the caveat that people should know going into it whether or not they're going to feel comfortable with very detailed descriptions of abuse. Because if that is going to be too much, then this is not the book for you. But if you think that you can read that, it is well worth it. Wow. Let's move on to our topic for the day, housing. 
This is a topic that Abby and I love to talk about. We love it. Whenever I've been hunting for a house or a rental, I will text Abby the listing because I know that she will be interested and have an opinion. (laughs) I always have opinions. (laughs) It is true. Let's start by talking about the first places that we lived after college. After college, I moved home to Dallas for the summer, and then I was starting graduate school at Vanderbilt. So I was looking for a place in Nashville. And how the housing market works there is it sort of runs on the school year calendar. So there was going to be plenty to, to start renting in August. But Sarah, I don't know if you remember this. I was looking, once I knew that I was going to go to Vanderbilt, I was looking at Craigslist for housing, I mean, obsessively for months before I could have even signed a lease, before things that were going to be available in August were even available because people hadn't given notice yet. And I found this awesome place this little apartment in an old building and it was walking distance to school and I was so excited about it but it was pretty expensive it was like over $900 and I think I don't remember if it was you or other friends probably you and multiple friends from Hendrix were like Abby that is way too much money for you to pay on your own get it together you'll find something cheaper and I was like no but it's perfect but then I did find something and it was in another building managed by the same people And so it was a similar old building, hardwood floors, but it was a studio apartment instead of a one bedroom, which was perfect because I was going to be living by myself. So I found it and I lived there for a year and it was a funny sort of shape. It was kind of hexagonal shaped. And so the bathroom was on one end and there was sort of a galley kitchen on the other and there was space for a small table. And then I had a futon, a TV, a desk and a dresser. And it was great. I loved that place. And and I loved how convenient it was and how I could walk to everything. So it was a really good first place. Yeah. It was a little bit sketchy, the building. I think the pipes were old. And so sometimes the water looked rusty. And we all had gas stoves. And once they turned off the gas to the building, but didn't tell people to relight their pilot lights. So I walked in coming home and the whole building smelled like gas. Oh, no. Which was actually pretty scary. And I went door to door and said, light your pilot light. If you need help doing it safely, I can help you. And actually, a couple of people were like, thanks. I had no idea what to do. Very strange, though, that the management company was not extremely clear and explicit in what you should do as, oh, yeah, that is not something to mess around with. And you'd think they would want their building not to explode as well. They were kind of sketchy. But the other great thing about that apartment is that I was allowed to have a cat. So I adopted my first cat as an adult, Zita, who I still have. So after college, I lived first in an apartment in Little Rock, and it was in an old building, old hardwoods. It was in a great location. It was in Hillcrest for those Mm -hmm. who live in Little Rock, and I could walk to many things. And it was very large, honestly, for a one-bedroom apartment. Did you ever visit me there? I don't think I did. Okay. I never saw your first place either, but it was quite large, and I remember it was $480 a month. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it was it was the first time I was paying all these bills on my own. So that wasn't nothing to me. And I was waiting tables. Right. But every place I have lived has gotten progressively more expensive. So I look back fondly on that $480 large, beautiful old apartment on a dead end street in Hillcrest. It probably is not that cheap now, right? I would guess not. Yeah. Um, So that was a really great experience. And that's the first place Neil and I lived together that he moved in there when he graduated the next summer. Mm. So I lived there by myself for a while, and then he moved in with me before we went to Oregon. And then I had a series of one-bedroom apartments that are 
very similar to each other. I had one in Oregon while we were in grad school, one in Columbia, Missouri, while we were looking for jobs, and one in Austin, Texas, before we moved to the house that we owned. So yeah, let's go ahead and jump to our first home purchase and how that came about. Like I said, I was living in Nashville in this apartment, and Andrew was still living at home. And we weren't married yet, but he was living at home basically to save money. And he had done that the whole year in between when he graduated and when we started graduate school. Because he had been able to save all that money, we had a down payment for a house. And I don't think we really even thought whether it was a good idea to buy a house. So it was 2008, which was the second peak before the really big crash. So the market had crashed, like the bubble had popped a little bit in the housing market. But then it peaked again and people thought it was recovering. So we were like, oh, we better hurry up and buy. And then there was the huge crash. So we bought probably at the most expensive time. And I think we just did it because we thought that that was a thing that you do. We were getting married and we were like, well, we should buy a house. And I don't think any more thought went into it than that. Do you think having... A not-so-great landlord experience had also made you want to be homeowners, or do you think that wasn't part of it? That's a good question. I mean, there are definitely advantages to owning your own home, especially if you love animals, which, which I do. I think maybe the perceived benefits of buying, I inflated them in my head. Mm-hmm. Because I think we could have easily found a place to rent that would have let us have a dog and a cat. So she wasn't a great landlord, but we didn't have to stay in that place. You know, I think... Once we were married, a studio apartment would have made, wouldn't have made as much sense anyway, so we could have found a different place. And honestly, where we ended up buying, lots of those places were for rent, so we could have rented rather than bought. What were your reasons behind buying your first place, Sarah? Yeah, so as I had said, we had a series of apartments before that with some not-so-great landlord experiences, especially toward the end. Mm-hmm. And I was pregnant with HP, and we were going to have to either find another place to rent or buy a home because we were in a one-bedroom student complex, so it wasn't going to work to continue to stay there. We ended up working with a realtor and did end up buying. I think we were both just very ready to have more control over our space, and I think there was some of that feeling like an adult making the decision to purchase a home, Mm -hmm. although I wouldn't say that was a driving force behind it. I would say it was more the control issue and not being beholden to a landlord and their whims and policies. Mm -hmm. I was also very interested in local food at the time and was really excited to have the space to garden and to start doing that on a larger scale than I was able to when we lived in an apartment. So all of that went into us buying our first home in April 2012, which was actually a great time to buy in Austin as at that point it was a buyer's market. Knowing what I know now, we would not have made the same decision, but I do think we made the best decision with the information we had at the time. Do you want to talk a little, Sarah, about what your first house was like? Yeah, it was about five miles from downtown, which is still relatively central in Austin. It was right at the edge of what we considered bikeable, Mm -hmm. and it was 1,300 square feet. It had three bedrooms, one living area, one and a half baths, a little kitchen, And the dining area was basically just an extension of the living area. There wasn't a separate room. And then there was an enclosed garage that we used to keep our bikes, had the washer and dryer, general storage. And one thing that we both really loved about the house is it was on a little over a third of an acre and it backed up to parkland and a creek. So when we looked out our back windows, 
we are just seeing woods, which in Austin is not something that you get in most places, especially if you're li- wanting to live close in. Mm-hmm. How about you? What was that first house like? I think I said already that it was a townhouse. And I loved living close in in my first apartment. So we wanted to keep that going. It was really awesome to be able to walk to school, to be able to go to lab at night if I needed to. So we started looking the spring before we got married. So that would have been spring 2008. And we looked at lots of, I mean, there are townhouses sort of all around Vanderbilt that were in the price range that we were looking for at that time. We saw one that had already sold when they had an open house. And I remember just feeling so, so disappointed because I had gotten so excited about it. But then ours was listed for sale by owner and it was a med student who was selling it. So she had put a flyer up in the bathroom that was outside of the huge lecture halls that both the med students and the grad students were using. So she was graduating and going to her residency. So she was selling her place and she had done, or I guess somebody had done a lot of renovations on it. So it was a townhouse. So two levels. She had put new cabinets or maybe just new cabinet fronts and new stainless steel appliances and, you know, done a lot of painting and new carpet. And so we were really sort of seduced by it having been renovated. Mm -hmm. And it was super convenient. It was across the street from Vanderbilt, which was totally awesome. You know, location-wise, we couldn't really have asked for something better. And it was an end unit, which seems nice for a townhouse to get a little bit more privacy. It was, yeah. We only had one neighbor on one side rather than two. And it had sort of a little yard that was shared. Um, It had a little fenced off back deck that was a sort of a private outdoor space. Probably many of our listeners have seen townhouses like this, where you walk in and you're in the living space. And then you walk back toward the back of the place, and that's the kitchen and dining area. There was also a half bath downstairs. And then upstairs, there were two bedrooms, a closet where the washer and dryer were, and a sort of funny Jack and Jill bath situation. So most Jack and Jill baths have a sink on each side and then sort of a water closet where the toilet and the tub or tub shower combo are. But this one had a toilet on each side. Which was sort of funny. And when my sister-in-law first saw it, she was like, pilot and co-pilot, huh? (laughs) Which was good. But I mean, there were times when we appreciated having three toilets, like when we had lots of family to stay. So toilet and sink on one side and on the other side and then a tub shared in the middle. And then you could pass through. And it had lots of closets. I mean, I don't think that I would make the choice to buy again. But in terms of the layout and how well that house worked for us, it was great. So now can you talk about what was the process like for selling your house? Yeah. Like I said, we bought in 2008 and then we were graduating in 2013. And I had a lot of anxiety leading up to leaving and had sort of realized by that time that maybe we would have been better off renting based on how the market looked. Um, And I was really worried that we were going to have to bring money to the table at closing to sell our house. And it wasn't really an option for us to keep it and rent it. But we got really lucky in that the market in Nashville had started to bounce back probably in January or February of 2013. And we put our house on the market at the end of March and it sold in two days to a cash buyer. So that was how hot things were then. But, you know, six months earlier, we might have had to bring cash to the table. Just not having to do that, I'm sure, was a win. 
for sure. So that was good. But the stress leading up to that and some realizations that we had made in who we are, which we hadn't known when our marriage was really new and when Andrew and I hadn't lived together before and neither of us had owned anything basically besides, you know, maybe a car at that point. I mean, we made a lot of realizations in the process of owning that that house, but really it was the stress of selling it and not knowing what was going to happen that has colored my opinions and choices in housing from then on. Talk more about what you feel like you guys learned about yourselves as homeowners and what you what you do and don't want to take on as a homeowner. So I think going into it, Andrew and I both thought that working on the house and doing house projects would be something that we really enjoyed. And it is something that I enjoy in terms of the satisfaction of having it done. But it's really hard for me to motivate myself to start projects. And once they're started, it's even harder for me to motivate to finish them. So we had these aspirations that we were going to be handy and enjoy it. And neither of us enjoy it. So there was that part of it. And I don't think that Andrew anticipated how into his work he would be. Yeah, He thought he would have more time and want to do it. But I mean, grad school was when he discovered that he wanted to for real be a scientist forever. And so there was a level of intensity of work that he did in graduate school that didn't leave time for much else. And when he had free time, he didn't want to spend it doing home projects. And then also the responsibility of it, where when something goes wrong, it's all on you. It was basically like you call somebody and pay for it and figure it out. And you never know when those things are going to happen. Yeah. It's usually at quite inconvenient times to be taking time out of your schedule in life Mm -hmm. and finances to make it work. And financially, I think... Probably we are approved for too big of a mortgage based on our incomes, which happened to a lot of people in 2008. I don't think we are unique in that regard. But I think we lived much more on the edge financially than if we had rented a cheaper place and been able to save much more. Yeah. None of that is bad. Many parts of it were hard, but I'm really thankful to have learned those lessons so early in our life and in a relatively low stakes situation where it came out okay. Yeah. No, I feel like we also learned a lot from our first home, and I'm glad that we bought there. Even though I would not have made the same choice now, I'm so glad we did it because of all the things we know about what we wanted in our next house Mm -hmm. and what the trade-offs really were. And before we bought, it was all really theoretical. Do we want a large lot? Oh, it sounds so nice to have woods in the back. Oh, turns out we hate doing yard work. Yes. You know, that that was a big consumption of our time was doing that. And, you know, that was a trade-off. If we'd lived closer in, we would have had a smaller lot. And, you know, Neil really wanted something that we could fix up ourselves and that we could put the work into and then increase the value of the house, Mm -hmm. where I had thought it would be more appealing to move into something that was more move-in ready, especially with a new baby on the way, to not have to worry about it. But I think it's good we did it. We redid every part of that house. That is not an exaggeration. Mm You know, Neil redid the roof. We put in solar tubes. We redid the kitchen. We redid the bathroom. We had the floors redone. We did patching on the walls. We took off wallpaper. We repainted every surface of the house. We had new ceilings put in because they were asbestos ceilings that were falling down. And I think that was a great experience for us, too, to learn about what do we want to do in a house? What is fun for us and what is 
good for us to do ourselves versus hiring out both financially and in terms of our time. And the big thing we learned from owning that home is location is even more important than we thought. Mm. And we chose a house that was on the very edge of what we considered still walkable, bikeable. Mm-hmm. And that was not good enough. Mm-hmm. It was also the reason we did that is, of course, it was cheaper to live in that neighborhood than it was to live in a very central neighborhood. So I think we made the right choice. It's so easy for me to say, oh, we should have bought closer in up front. But that wouldn't have been the right financial choice for us at the time. Mm-hmm. Like With the income that we have, I felt very comfortable with the mortgage we took on and it would have been a real stretch to do more. And so I'm glad we didn't do that. We ended up, as you know, we lived in the house for two years Mm -hmm. and then I was pregnant with E and I really could not imagine having two kids and no car in the location that we were. Mm -hmm. So what we ended up doing was renting a house really centrally and renting out our home. And we did that for a year and then we moved to Indiana. And at that point, We obviously left our rental in Austin and then sold the house that we had been renting out. So it was a bit of a convoluted process. It made me realize I don't want to be a landlord in the future, even though we had great tenants and really very little problem while they were there. Mm -hmm. But it was still that added stress of we're still responsible for that house and we're responsible for what's happening there. And anytime something goes wrong, one of us would have to go out there and address it. Mm -hmm. We were very fortunate that we bought in Austin when the market was down. And we sold in Austin when the market was going crazy. So financially, it turned out to be better for us than we anticipated when we first bought the house, which was just pure luck. Mm -hmm. We obviously put a lot of work into the house. So it wasn't as though we didn't add value to it. But a lot of it was just the real estate market in Austin. It was at the point where we wished we could have bought more centrally and we were priced out at that point. The values had increased so much. So like you said, I think we've learned a lot of lessons about the trade-offs of owning Mm -hmm. and what is most important to us in housing. And what we thought was most important to us, owning a home and not having to deal with a landlord and having that control Mm -hmm. turned out not to be as important as having a great location Mm. and that we eventually chose to rent again because we wanted that really great location. Yeah. So let's talk now about how we got to our current housing situation and how we've applied those lessons we've learned from our first home ownership experience and what direction we've decided to go with that. So after we sold our townhouse, we moved to North Carolina. And at that point, because we had gotten some of our down payment that we had put on that house back, we had it in the bank. And so moving to North Carolina anticipating that we would be here at least five or six years, we thought maybe we'll buy again. But we moved in the fall and there wasn't a whole lot that was available. And location has always been paramount for us. So there weren't a whole lot of things that would have been close enough in. So we ended up renting from a realtor a house that he owned that he was anticipating renovating in the spring. And it was Not super close in, but it was fine. It was like a little three bedroom, one bath, kind of a little ranch house, one living area, sort of a weird galley style kitchen where the washer was. And then the dryer was in a closet outside because they had had to wire it separately. But he was an awesome landlord. And we ended up using him as a realtor when we were still looking for places. Then some things changed with Andrew's work. And we sort of, I think, got a taste of how really how fast things can change. So there was a possibility that his boss was going to be recruited away. 
And so if we had bought, then we would have had to worry about selling that and recouping an investment again. And so when our short lease was up, because it was a short lease on that little house, we moved to a closer in, bigger house, but that was still a rental. And I thought that we would stay in that house, but it turned out to be kind of a hellhole with really terrible management company. And so we got out of that lease early and ended up in the place we are now, which for us is really perfect. So the way that we found this place is that there had been a duplex that was for sale and somebody bought it and I saw that they were renovating it. And so I put a note on the door and I said, hi, I see that you're renovating this. If you need great tenants, give me a call for when it's ready. I love that you did that. And then our, who's now our landlord, called and he said, yeah, I would love to have tenants. I'm renovating that duplex and also another triplex. Do you want to see them? And so we went and saw them that day and He wasn't finished renovating them, but he had done really awesome stuff. So these are also, you know, built in the 70s or 80s. They had been sort of compartmentalized, but he took down a wall so that the kitchen was open, did all new everything, paint, appliances, cabinets, all new fixtures in the bathroom, like a new toilet. And he also did the the wood look ceramic tile on the floor, um, which I was really excited about for the animals because it's so much easier to clean than carpet. Yeah. So when we saw what he was doing and he seemed like a good guy and the price was right, we were like, we'll take it. So we ended up in one of the units of the triplex, which is totally great. And we have sort of a big open yard. So the dog has a place to go when we don't want to walk her. And it's all on one level, which is good because the dog is elderly and it's a two bedroom, one bath all open living dining kitchen, which was what we wanted. And I love it. I think that we'll stay here at least until the end of Andrew's postdoc. And I mean, our landlord is just so great. And it's such a relief when our hot water heater broke this year that we just called him and he called the plumber and we didn't have to pay or worry about it anymore. And that's not always the case with renting. I mean, as you know, you've had terrible landlords. I do. I think we're really lucky and I think we appreciate how lucky we are in this place. Yeah, having a great landlord is everything. I can still feel my blood pressure rise thinking about some of my past experiences. Mm. So we've taken a bit of a different route. Mm -hmm. When we moved to Indiana, we still owned the house in Austin because we had our tenants that their lease went until, it's hard for me to even remember now, I think their lease went until the end of June and we actually got them to leave a little bit earlier. We asked them if they would, you know, that we'd give them discounted rent Mm -hmm. if they left sooner because we needed some time to get the house ready and Neil's job started in mid-July and we were leaving at the beginning of July to go on a vacation that had been planned. So great. So and they were great and they left a week early which was still hard to get everything done but we crammed it all in and our house was actually listed the day after we arrived in Bloomington. It went on the market. So we sold it from afar. The market was great so that was no problem. We got multiple offers. Although I will say we had to accept three different offers because the first two fell through for different reasons. So we were under contract for three Mondays in a row until it finally stuck. We knew that the house was going to sell. We weren't worried that we were just going to be stuck with this house forever. But at that point, I just wanted it done and to move on. So it was very frustrating when that kept happening. Mm -hmm. So we were renting in Bloomington. And since it's a college town, they have a lot of school year leases. It's really hard to rent if you aren't on the August to August schedule. So we got in an August to August lease that we started a couple weeks early because it was vacant, which worked out perfectly for us. And we had a great landlord here and a really good experience, a great neighborhood. 
And we were trying to figure out what we were going to do that we needed to either rent again. Mm -hmm. And it was early in the year, January or February, when they were asking us for a commitment if we were going to rent again. That here, so far in advance. It's so crazy. I've never seen something like it, you know, that they didn't want to go month to month. And this is pretty standard across Bloomington. Mm. And they want everybody to be August to August because that's when they can rent to people most easily. So, you know, we said no, because at that point we were looking at buying a home. But we didn't have a house, you know, so we felt like this pressure to time it right because we couldn't get out of our lease early either. But then we also only had the certain window to like, find a house and move in. And it's a small enough town. And since location is so important to us, there weren't that many places we were looking. Mm-hmm. So then when something would come up, it's like, OK, well, this isn't quite perfect, but is it close enough? Is there going to be something better that comes up in the next six weeks? Mm -hmm. Or is this it? Is this the best that we're going to do right now? And would it be better to rent for another year and then wait? But then what if we have to break our lease just a month into it? And you know, we went back and forth a lot on Mm -hmm. what our plans were. And I was very open to the possibility of just continuing to rent. I loved when we moved here and we did not own a house at all. And anytime there was a problem, we could call the landlord. Mm -hmm. I loved the financial stability of that, of knowing what to expect every month, where when you're a homeowner, there is just always something that comes up Mm -hmm. or something on the horizon. And so, so I really appreciated that about renting. And since we did so much work on the home we owned in Austin... That was what we spent our weekends doing Mm -hmm. were house projects. Mm -hmm. And so it was really nice to have the weekend to do stuff together as a family (laughs) and just to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really enjoying all of that. And I have also been convinced by the argument that it is not necessarily the financially best move to own. Oh, yeah. And that that is something that people are told. But when you actually do the math on it, many, many times you come out ahead renting. Mm hmm. And I had never even heard someone say that it might be a smarter financial choice to rent in Nashville. And I think we both thought this is an investment in our future. Right. And you can never go wrong with real estate. I mean, people say these things, yep. but it's just not always true. Yep. And all the cliches about, you know, either you're paying your mortgage or you're paying somebody else's mortgage. Right. Or, you know, you're just throwing money away if you're renting. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I don't think those things are true. And we've both read some really interesting articles about that. And I did a lot of work with the New York Times buy versus rent calculator when we were trying to decide. Mm -hmm. I will say I don't think we made a financially superior move to buy here than we would have if we had rented. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it is worse either because here I think the prices for renting are inflated because of the students Mm -hmm. and that the home prices aren't as expensive. Where I think when you're in more of an urban area... I think that can be the opposite, where it is cheaper to rent often than it would be if you were paying the mortgage on a place. Yeah. Like Mr. Money Mustache has this awesome long essay about a cost comparison living in Toronto or the Toronto area. Mm -hmm. And it's so convincing to me that in many places, you get so much more renting in terms of location and amenities and even space sometimes in the lifestyle, right. that you're not responsible for all of these things mm-hmm. that you are when you're a homeowner. Yeah, I love that article. Jim Collins also has a really interesting one that we'll link to. And on the Mad Fiantist podcast, which is all about obtaining financial independence, mm. he had an episode interviewing a couple who retired early. I think they're about our, our age in their early 30s. And they really credit the fact that they didn't buy a home to being able to achieve financial independence. Yeah, I believe it. Which was just really interesting to hear their story. 
So we'll link to all of those in the show notes. But obviously, we did decide to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And I feel very neutral towards that decision. Mm-hmm. I think I appreciate the stability of having a house and not having to deal with a landlord because we've had such bad experiences, though not all were bad. I had some great landlord experiences, too. Mm -hmm. But I also appreciate the flexibility of renting, that if we were renting, you do have more of those options that when you own a home, it's you can't just pick up and move. Mm -hmm. But we did end up buying a house here. I would say it's somewhat similar to the last house we owned. It's technically a two-bedroom, but there is another room-like space with no windows. (laughs) It's ranch style. It's actually very similar to the home I grew up in, only smaller. It's about 1,500 square feet and has a great fenced-in backyard. And really, the thing we love most about the home right now is our neighbors. Mm. We just have great neighbors. And that is something that I wasn't anticipating when we moved. And obviously, you can have great neighbors when you're renting also. Mm -hmm. But it's just been, yeah, been my favorite part of where we live now. It's so nice when you get lucky like that, because I feel that same way about our neighbors. We're in a triplex, like I said, and the other two couples, at least one of each of those partnerships, one person in each of those partnerships is a scientist. Mm. So we sort of have this little science block. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So let's talk about what our plans are for the future then. Do you have an idea of finding a forever home? Do you think you guys will ever buy again if you move someplace that you think will be a long-term location for you? I'm open to buying again, but the pro list would have to be really long in order to convince me to do that. Just because I so enjoy the flexibility of not having to do things. I mean, what you said about just being able to move, you can't just leave because of a lease, but that's the only thing keeping you there, right? It's not that you have to worry about all the things you have to fix up and getting new carpet and new windows before you can sell your house and getting the right price for it and listing it at the right time of year and all of these things. It's like if we really needed to break our lease, we just could and it would be fine. The other thing is because we prioritize location so much, things that are close in to city centers tend to be more expensive. Yeah. And so if we couldn't get in the location we wanted buying, then I would have no problem just renting forever. What about you guys, Sarah? What are you thinking about how long you'll be in your current place and what things look like further down the road? I would say at this point, we'll probably be here while the kids are at home Mm -hmm. or at least while both kids are at home. And we might reassess once HP is out of the house. The thing that makes me most glad that we did buy instead of continuing to rent is how glad Neil is that we bought instead of renting. Nice. He really likes doing the home projects and he Mm -hmm. really likes having that autonomy. I love that he does home projects. If he were not as excited about doing those as he is, I think I would be much less inclined to own Mm -hmm. because there are so many things that come up that he just fixes by going to the hardware store and getting things for $10 and coming back and doing it himself. That's awesome. That if I were in charge would be much more expensive than that. Mm -hmm. But when we bought this house, we both said this is not our forever house, that our forever house, we would want to be smaller than this. Mm -hmm. We can't imagine living there when it's just us. Mm -hmm. So I think that we'll be here for a while and then we'll probably downsize to something smaller. We've also entertained a lot of different ideas, like building a tiny house in the backyard that we could live in and then renting out the main house, which some zoning things would have to change in Bloomington for that to be a reality. Mm -hmm. But who knows? Maybe they will. So I'm not sure. I can definitely see us going back to renting once the kids are out of the house or downsizing to a smaller home. Mm -hmm. And to me, I just don't feel 
I don't feel attached to a place that I live, Mm -hmm. that it feels very utilitarian to me. And we talked a lot about this in the home buying process that so many people had told me, you'll just know when you find the right home. Absolutely. You'll just know. You just hear that over and over. And I did not feel like that when we bought our house in Austin. And I did not feel like that about the house we bought here. And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think I wasn't trying to get a feeling about the house. This is the biggest purchase I'm going to make in my life. And I think it's okay to be very clear-headed and rational about it. Mm -hmm. And I think especially after this being the second time that I'm owning, I have a very clear understanding of the fact of how much money I'm actually owing with my mortgage and what that means. Mm -hmm. So I never had that feeling of this is perfect. This is it. This is the one. Mm -hmm. It felt very much like, yep, this is the location we want. We can work with this. It's in our price point. Let's move forward. Yeah. That level of emotional sort of investment in your house, I think, is one of the mistakes that we made buying in Nashville, that I was really attached more to the feeling and the ideal of homeownership. And I had on rose-colored glasses that did not serve me. And like I said, I don't regret that experience because I think it has opened my eyes in a way that things being a little easier and less anxiety riddled wouldn't have. Yeah. If you had rented there, you probably would have bought in North Carolina. Yeah, we might have. I feel like you just have to learn those lessons at some point. I mean, maybe not everybody needs to buy a home to learn them, but I sure did. Okay. Well, I think that about covers it for our conversation about housing. Listeners, we would love to hear where you stand on the rent versus own, or if you've had really good renting or owning experiences or really bad ones. Absolutely. Let's chat about what we've been eating lately. We have been eating a lot of soups lately. It's soup season. It is. It's been cold and rainy. I feel like I haven't seen the sun in weeks. So (laughs) soups every night. (laughs) And one of my favorites has been this kidney bean and sweet potato soup. And then you add peanut butter to the broth. Hmm. I think often in recipes, it's called African peanut soup. Hmm. But I had a friend in Austin who had made it. And I was over at her house while our kids were playing and she was serving us leftovers. And I told her that I had to know how to make this soup because it was so delicious. Love it. And she told me basically what was in it. And then I did some Googling and found some recipes and I've gone off of those. And it's just really simple, but really good. It has kidney beans, sweet potatoes, red peppers, celery, onion, and then coconut milk, broth, peanut butter. And you can add cilantro on top. It's really easy and just, I don't know, something about the kidney bean, just the whole combo is really warm and filling. I have a question. Do you cook your kidney beans in the Instant Pot? My usual route is to do kidney beans in the Instant Pot, everything else on the stovetop. But sometimes I do all the broth and that stuff with the kidney beans and then I add the veggies later Mm -hmm. and like put it on slow cook for a while Mm. and just let the hot soup cook that down. Mm. I have been eating breakfast burritos and also serving them to guests. So our friend from Hendrix who was here, we had breakfast burritos and I had breakfast burritos for a mom and baby brunch that was at my house. And I love it because it's so flexible mm-hmm. and the stuff is really easy to cook. So I've been cooking onions and red peppers together. So that's one option. And then some kind of beans, black beans or pinto beans. And then have several cheeses available and scramble some eggs so people can put eggs. And then I've also been cooking like homemade home fries where I just cube up a potato and cook it in butter in a skillet till it gets a little crispy. And then salsa. The other reason that I did this, especially for my mom brunch, is that several people don't eat gluten in that group. So then I can have corn tortillas and flour tortillas available 
for whatever people want. And I love it. I think it's so filling and tasty. Yeah, it sounds really good. I have a question for you about making the home fries. Mm -hmm. So I often cook potatoes in a way similar to what you're describing, Mm -hmm. but I have so much trouble getting them to be crispy without doing the thing where the crispy layer sticks to the bottom of the pan Mm -hmm. and then comes off from the potato. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Are you using cast iron? Sometimes I use cast iron and then sometimes I use my stainless steel skillets. So I have a nonstick skillet Uh and that's the only way that I have successfully done it. It's the nonstick that's ceramic. So it's white. It's not the Teflon. Okay. So that's the skillet that I use for this. And I have tried it in the cast iron before and had the same problem. Yeah. And that's just a huge annoying mess. Yep. In order to get them to brown and crisp up, you have to leave them for a while. Right. But if you leave them for that long, then the moisture and the oil like is gone. And so then they stick. Yes. That is what happens to me. I think that's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. If you'd like to join in the conversation or offer suggestions for future topics, you can find us online at friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or you can email us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. So do you want to say, Abby, why don't you start? Oh, sure. I can. Because that's what I was waiting for. I just thought you would start when I was being silent. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can just jump right okay. in. Okay. I'm scared to cook kidney beans in the Instant Pot. Oh. Because isn't there something about red beans that they can be poisonous if you don't cook them right? I have never heard this. Okay. Maybe I should Google before I make such claims on our podcast. <laughs> But I've cooked all kinds of, you know, pinto beans, black beans, plenty of beans um, from dry beans. But I've never cooked red beans because I thought that there was something about like kidneys and red beans that they could kill you if you <laughs> if you don't I, cook them. Correctly. I mean, maybe I've just been living in ignorance, living on the edge. But we eat red beans and kidney beans on the regular. And no one's dead. Nothing bad has happened to us yet. Survivor's <laughs> bias, Sarah. <laughs> Yep.